truth is your only play right now because you're fucked up letting yourself be alone in this room with me look frank there's been a mistake somewhere you're arrogant or else you never would have walked in here Welcome to True Detective Weekly on the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sean Vanneman. And I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we are discussing the penultimate episode of Season 2 of True Detective, Black Maps and Motel Rooms. This episode was written by Nick Pizzolatto and it was directed by Danielle Ateas, who has been a TV director for a billion years, including Miami Vice and Beverly Hills 90210, but most recently has been just like an HBO staple director directing like entourage and the wire and true blood i think lots of true things and loves slow-mo and loves slow-mo this episode is in memory of paul woodrow yeah r.i.p <laughs> that's true um before we talk about this episode i want to quickly um mention something that i neglected in the previous episodes podcast neglected because i just did not realize at all um so i spoke last episode about how much i loved the score to the kind of infiltration heist sequence. He did, Jake. I knew that he would. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I was really surprised that that was in this TV show because it felt so ambitious and was so incredibly competent and evocative. It turns out that is actually um, a piece of music by John Adams, who... um, president. Not the president, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, An American composer who is um, actually one of the most, like, significant and important composers of kind of modern concert music. Um, and I actually saw a premiere of one of his operas, Dr. Atomic. Oh, I the, saw that with you. Yeah. The San Francisco opera way back in like, I want to say 2006 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really fantastic composer and that was his music that was licensed. Um, it's a piece of music that I cannot pronounce, but it, it's a German word that is roughly, roughly harmonia her. That is, te- that is a terrible thing that I just said. Anyway, um, that was John Adams, which explains why it was so, like, such a strikingly presidential like, <laughs> piece of music. Yeah, exactly. No, that was cool because in that context, I don't need to talk about it because it was last week. It felt so much like a piece of, it almost felt like old film scoring, mm-hmm. but really modern yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Cool. Anyway, this episode, I have to say, so I was skipping right to the end, and we, we never, we don't really have a sort of standard order we talk about this stuff in, but. Um, I was so surprised and like also surprisingly bummed at uh, Paul getting offed at the end of this episode. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting to me. Which that part? you were surprised. Well, I've been waiting for him to die. Oh, yeah. Since but the shootout. He, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> fair. But then he didn't. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of figured that. Once he started going after the photos, once I saw that the photos that were texted to him oh, uh, sure. had power over him, yeah, that's like I realized that, that like downfall point. was going to happen. Yeah. I figured yeah. that was potentially going to be the case. I just didn't know that it would happen this week. I thought he might get one more scrape that he makes it out of be- just because he, when he was talking to Ray and he's like, I think I'm in a bad spot or whatever, I, or I, you know, and he just says, well, don't go. And then he went anyway, and then he survived, and he kept surviving. I was like, okay, maybe this is just going to be oh. a, a strange, <laughs> a strange, uh, you know, avenue for his plot to take, where he somehow just makes it out of that, and it means something. But I, I still wasn't necessarily expecting him to make I, it out of the show. 
Yeah, I very rarely sort of like try to puzzle things out plot-wise while I'm watching anything because I it usually uh, means I'm not paying attention to what's in front of me and I also have less fun with it uh, once everything comes to pass. But with Paul, I knew it couldn't be next episode because they wouldn't kill him in the finale. And it was just the look in his... I mean, I think that's probably a testament to Taylor Kitsch, but like the look in his eye over these photos and over how determined he was to just suppress everything in both in himself and in the world that was causing this pain was just like, Oh yeah, this guy's done. <laughs> this is going to be, yeah. this is it. This is it. But something that kind of bothered me about the way he went out. And it's something that I realized has bothered me about the full show is this show plays a trick on people like me who watch big ensemble, uh, plot driven stories on television and just assume that everyone else knows all the characters and that I'm just not good at paying attention. Like that's just something like I bring to the table. What do you mean by that? What What I mean by that is the guy who shot him. Oh yeah. The Vinci PD guy. Yeah. Has been around like the body of Stan that was so heralded. It was so like, like uh, was so important to Frank's arc this season. I started realizing that Stan, I saw an article, I think it was on Slate or something. Oh, Willa Paskin's like yeah. heroic. Like, <laughs> it was just like, who is Stan? Yeah. yeah. Just, he's been in four seconds of film. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's to the show's detriment because I. <sighs> well, they're a little bit different because Stan, there really was absolutely no way to know who that guy was. And, but I didn't know that because the show kept act, treating me like I should. Right. No, no. no. I, I, I know <laughs> right. what you mean. Although. The guy who shot Paul, like we knew he was Paul's superior, basically. Or I guess not Paul's superior because Paul was was like highway patrol. But we knew that he was like senior law enforcement. Which guy was he? he, he yeah, was, I don't, like, I don't remember who actually second. shot Paul at the end of this. Of course you don't. <laughs> yeah. He, he was one of the, the high ups in Vinci PD. He was, he was one of the guys who was involved in this stuff going all the way back to 92. Okay. Who has been profiting from this like that whole um, – sh- uh, uh, jewelry store, like, you know, pawn shop jewelry store, whatever it was, right. shootout, um, and has, like, been the the sort of behind-the-scenes, like, beneficiaries of all of this, like, corruption and grift okay. and, and dealing. And so they, like... He was just another Paul, dark-haired man in the suit to me. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So when Paul was, like, investigating this stuff, that, the guy, that guy, the guy who shot him, and then the, the guy who was, like, underground you know, who, who had the bodyguards, the chief of police, right? Those two guys were like part of this sort of shadowy, um, like corruption cabal that behind that has basically been propping up Vinci or, or like in, in this, been like, the cornerstones of the symbiotic, police, cor- of the police. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That have enabled Vinci to discontinue to churn on in its cancerous ways. Right. Exactly. Gotcha. And so like, and so, and, um, and, Paul was really the one who was able to actually like get any leverage on them because he, you know, was still in good standing basically in, uh, in terms of his like actual employment, unlike, um, Annie and, uh, right. He's not fired or wanted for murder or whatever else. Exactly. So like, so he's actually a threat to them right? and they like just sort of lucked into these photos that Dixon had, um, uh, you know, showing Paul being compromised and like, well, like lucky us, 
um, mm-hmm. sucks for you. So that was how they that was why they, that was why they cared about luring him in. That entire section of that of the episode, um, I really liked. Mm-hmm. If you mean Paul's like I, crazy the, escape, the or? intercut between Paul in the in the sewers or the tunnels, uh, Annie and Ray, uh, sort of having an awkward. Oh man, but you like you like that? I don't know how I feel about that. And cut. No, I, I like it as a structured okay. piece of like fiction, and Frank. Go like just going, burning it down. Just going full Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love, really enjoyed that. <laughs> I really love those three things coming together in terms of like just nuts and like meat and potatoes storytelling mm-hmm. because it was all four characters finally having the lid blown off of their pressure cooker, cooker mm, yeah. and something coming like yeah, the, okay. their most like yeah. id driven yeah, part that. of them pouring out and just or you know what I should say it, like them having wanton disregard for consequences but fulfilling their own needs as much as their their animal brains wanted them mm-hmm. you know what i mean and i mm-hmm. like that a lot i thought that was it's sort of what the season has been working towards in terms of the character stories for me so and i found it to be ultimately satisfying um but in the way that i have found this show to be ultimately satisfying which is not uh like a meal that I'll remember for the rest of my life, <laughs> sure. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very enjoyable roadside taco. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah, that was actually the lyrics to this week's opening titles. It was very strange. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that guy's voice. Wish oh, Leonard Cohen. Yes, yeah. yeah. that guy. You know, that guy. Yes, I his voice. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I'm just ready for the finale now. Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. Yes, corruption spreads in all directions in these poor victims well, and also we're, we're this like it's funny with one episode left we're finally back to just full-on kind of back channel like or not back channel but like off the books buddy cop you know we've got annie and and ray now they're the they're the last two standing you know from the investigation because even the like you know the what is it the state attorney who put them on this she's dead too oh yeah the um, woman who's at the top of the states the woman, well the woman who the only one who could like is... theoretically like justify their unofficial right. actions is gone so like they're really in just like classic just gotta go renegade to the feds. like gotta go to the feds that's where it feels like the shit i mean that's like the next step for them right yeah i mean you could go yeah. it could be, you feel like a show like this could go either way right like it could go to the feds and it could be the like big kind of climactic it could also be the only way out is through exactly just like keep Mm -hmm. dive deeper and deeper into our into our quagmire and hope that we punch out the other side with the proof that we need to tell everyone that it was justified yeah exactly in terms of not the investigative story but frank's story it was actually refreshing to see a character like frank who's acted like a caged animal for seven episodes get out of the cage <laughs> just decide to get out of the cage yeah. and like i'm making a run for it we have passports well, we have it wasn't money. that he got out of the cage it was that he took the like split second opportunity when the key right. like was you know when he was being fed basically yeah to smash like he was getting the, the scrap of food and he acted very conciliatory mm-hmm. and then just bam and it was like i agree it was very satisfying because you never see that really you always you know i mean i feel like when i watch a movie or a show like this i think why don't they just 
And it's always something like that. Like, right, so just the... Just hit the road, man. Start over. Yeah, everything you say is great. I will take all the money. Goodbye. I will hit the road and start over. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. It's totally true. Mm-hmm. But, but he's doing I mean, it in the most bombastic possible way. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Which, Gotta pour which, out which that Cavassier on the floor and set it on also, fire. that is real, like... I, if I ever skip town, by the way, ever, and I'm pouring a bottle of scotch on the ground and lighting it on fire <laughs> wherever i whatever i leave just whatever context you're in yeah sorry yeah. landlord i'm that's just what i'm <laughs> um, i got a new job i'm out <laughs> like on that on, speaking to this that you know whole dynamic on on freak that feels like the version of the character that vince vaughn was actually cast to play well i don't know if he was cast to play it i think that the intention <laughs> was for him to really be the the first version of frank but it feels like the one he actually really is is this one you know, right. like the the one who like when the when the sort of when Osip's goon comes up and he's like, where is the leak? He's like, oh, it's over there. Bam. That sort of casual like Vince <laughs> I really Vaughn, liked your accent. Vince Vaughn, you know, yeah, that yeah. just feels like what that guy actually does for real. He flicks um, cigarettes at explode at, at about to happen explosions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also feels like it's probably closer to the, the version of Frank that actually managed to achieve all the things that he achieved. That's probably true. Yeah. In that sense, he was never really comfortable in his own skin. As a character. Yeah, that's a good point. We've had this fake Frank all along. It's good to see the real Frank who just blows shit up and shoots guys. Tired of the Frank who's <laughs> hugging sad morning children. <laughs> giving good advice to Ray. Um, so what it, Are we Jay, just, I haven't talked to you about this series in like three weeks because of the way the podcast is rolled out. What do you think of it? I don't series know. Or the sh- the a series or the series? Because I, I mean, I want to catch like catch yeah. up with Jake. Well, you want to catch up with me? I don't know. I'm watching it. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. It's, I mean, it's inevitable that as this thing goes on, the amount. I mean, it's not inevitable, but I'm, I'm pretty bought into the story as what's happening. I mean, or as as it is barreling towards an end. The the like this episode when that lady was dead in the car. That was like one of the more. That was like the smallest moment in this yeah, they episode. Ling- it was like it was a it. scene mm-hmm. of Ray just driving up to what's going to be a handoff, sits down, and then goes, oh, fuck, and drives away. Yeah. Um, and that like successfully piqued my interest more than so many other things have in a while. Like I thought that was just so well played. And I don't mm-hmm. even know why. Like Just an informant dead in a room when someone goes to a meeting is such a like standard thing but just the way that she was sitting in the car and the way that they shot it and just sort of like the way her body even jostled around like it just looked like she wasn't paying attention to him for so long that it actually just scared the crap out of me the the cinematography put you right in what ray's experience of that moment was i was actually i noticed actually because of that i responded to that scene as well i was like yo man oh man oh man was there's not a lot of that in season two season one is basically when they're not having character talkie time i'll think which is 90 percent of it is them just discovering something that's already happened whereas season two is really going to make they just go make chaos happen the characters do it's it's feeling right now though a lot more like the noose is really finally tightening around these guys and sort of like the I mean, they've always been behind, but they they have been agents of chaos this season a lot more than they were in the in the first season. But it feels like they're so far behind, except Frank, I guess, uh, yeah. at this point. And, yeah. and I'm I'm really liking the way that that well, stuff is happening. Yeah, that's true. I guess Paul was pretty. I mean, Paul in the the thing that caused him to be dead probably understood most of what was going on. 
at least more than yeah most, most characters he he was still it was still too late though yeah. oh well yeah because he, he i think he learned that stuff by way of getting killed because he witnessed the people who right. were responsible for him dying were the people involved in this shit um the a funny thing about about this episode to me uh, that is odd to me that it came so late was that we basically learned that the two different like burned eye murders were unrelated or not one, unrelated one was but basically one was a, a copy, copycat a copycat yeah. of the other which is funny and i like i think it's actually kind of a cool twist on sort of tele you know television is always so like enamored of stylish serial killers like television loves like ritual serial killers who keep mm-hmm. doing crazy crimes again and again and it, i kind of like that that this is like no this is just a weird like crime of opportunity to try and just dist- be a distraction but it's odd that it came in the second to last episode of the season like you'd think the way you'd play that would be to like upturn your expectations halfway through um but i don't know i it was in- instead it feels like it was used to almost just to lay bare how sort of unaware frank is again of sort of how far behind the rest of the world he was this episode right i mean when we talked to that guy he found out all these things and he, he you know he got he he finally caught up with his sort of like minion man who's been playing him all this mm-hmm, time Blake, but it was yeah. oh blake it was stupid blake in the same way uh i mean frank ended up getting the upper hand but in the same way as paul's thing it was sort of just end up in this really tense scene where suddenly it's revealed how you know mm-hmm. how far ahead of you the rest of the world is at fucking yeah. you and then you know, and how just sort of distracted or convoluted it was and how there's mm-hmm. like three more levels than you even thought there were. Yeah. But then Frank ends up just going and yep. shooting the guy and watching well, him that, die. Yeah. <laughs> Observing that really reveals how not that anyone needs any like information to know this is crazy. But like the the plot, it, it reveals it reminds you how crazy the plot of this season is, because as you say, Frank is a million steps behind his universe in getting screwed by his universe Mm -hmm. but he also knows way more than most of the actual investigative characters at least or at least has for much of the season and then you think about the investigators at least the two left alive the two remaining true detectives and they uh they are they have only recently begun to piece things together and they still are unaware we suspect of a lot of the more like sort of crime uh, organized crime related um stuff going on on Frank's side nobody in this entire like there is there are the only human beings who are uh, most likely aware of most of what's going on is Nick like Pizzolatto. the uh, yeah and like, like the, <laughs> the mayor i guess um and uh probably the guys who are buying out Frank know a fair amount yeah it's cr- like but and we don't but we don't live with those characters at all it's right. like it's it's amazing how huge the machinations of this season are and how little any of the relevant characters know about it. And that's obviously true of most crime fiction, right? The point of it is that the characters are lost in something they don't understand. It's just that the scale of all of the stuff is so massive in this season of this show. Um, I It's very unusual for television, I think. It's odd. Do you think there's... A- I mean, there's no okay. So I'll I'll caveat this by saying it is it is worthless to try and predict what's going to happen to the main characters because for for many reasons. But this week we have seen 
two very different trajectories with how characters end up dealing with the the world sort of imploding and exploding on them at the same time where uh paul holds on to the the thing that is sort of ruining his life but then barrels headfirst basically mm-hmm. like literally Trying into to, the, into like the yeah. dark heart of it and eats it and that's sort of how he burns out whereas mm-hmm. frank's trajectory is basically in the opposite direction after getting his own version of the same input he just jets which is he like yeah he propels well, himself about, out of it on fire I mean, what about annie and ray like, that's what yeah, like, yeah, so, that, i mean next week is what's going to happen to them well, right I don't, you know i, don't think I mean, so i think we start to see it now and that they cope with what's in front of them in by kind of like just orthogonal means right like they find some degree of like probably very flawed comfort in each other while the thing is happening like that um, so i mean you think that because they sort of like hunkered down and sort of slip off to the side with each other you think they're going it's going to somehow blow over them and like they're going to weather well, it in a way that, I don't, that the other two characters uh, aren't pro- well probably just in the sense that i don't think you could have them also die or them also jet off to sure fucking bermuda or whatever wherever it was frank was going venezuela Ven- was it venezuela I yeah think so. um but uh yeah i think that they i think that they're the characters who are um they're clearly the most internally uh sort of dysfunctional um but also sort of possibly as a result of that like most adapted to their actual well, reality. There are the characters mm-hmm. who I guess have probably of the four leads who have taken the most shitty life input and then just like hardened it exactly. into a right. core inside of them as who they are as opposed right. to right. deflecting whereas, it or like funny, using whereas it. Whereas Fra- Frank know. sort of tried to like master that stuff explicitly and Paul tried to just resist it entirely unsuccessfully. Um, whereas, yeah, as you say, they sort of absorbed it and have like internalized it as who they are. Yeah, like what, twisted it. What into, were you going to say, Sean? Horror. Oh, just that. I don't. I don't know if I have the same read on and on Ray and Annie. Oh, sure. You said a sentence that I was going to follow up on and ask you about. What did you say? Me or Jake? You that they were the most something. Um, oh, maybe the most like well adapted to their environment in that way. Oh yeah, I get, maybe I don't disagree with that then. Um, it's interesting because it feels they've somehow become the most reasonable, <laughs> and, right, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, and it's interesting to see. Well, Frank has sort of become in his own way, kind of a reasonable, like dealt with this sort of reasonably. He did just blow up a casino. His, his, yeah, but <laughs> his decision to of... actually just cut his losses yeah. and just go buy that is reasonable but his decision to literally blow everything up that's true as well yeah, as give people like true. a list of infinite he's like i need a million guns and cars that's true i actually. need to blow everything yeah. up why no, i'm leaving right, right, that's not right. leaving if this was the end of, yeah. if this episode was the end of frank's story i would call him basically right. on balance we have reasonable we have one more week to prove that frank has not made a, a good choice going a little scarface just yeah. a, just no, a you're touch right. of the scarface you're completely right i forgot about the list <laughs> Um, you forgot about him un- unpacking just stacks of hundred dollar bills and yeah. giving people just so, someone screen capped the his list and if you look at it it's like ten x smoke grenades like two x Remington shotguns okay. and then it like it, they clearly like whoever was doing the production design just only had like ten things on the list so they just repeated the ten things again so, like, no anyway ten more flash grenades no, oh good no, really. That sucks. Oh, what a bad prop. That's probably yeah. better than, than 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 the other way where it's like five Clivesdales or whatever. Called <laughs> I don't Clivesdales. know, like ten packs of bazooka yeah. bubble gum. Um. Anyway, I'm sorry. You were gonna say. Oh, just in the ten more smoke so, like, grenades. 
Wait, how many, how many smoke? How many smoke grenades? Shit, is that? we're gonna need ten more of those. Just write it again. Is it tw- do you want twenty or thirty smoke grenades, or just ten? And you just set it above. Uh, you know, just I give want, me a fucking I wanted bunch 10, of smoke. But just give me thirty. Just give me a lot of smoke <laughs> grenades. All right, I'll use whatever you give me. We only have twenty-eight. That's fine. <laughs> That's the amount of smoke I'll create explosively. Yeah, <laughs> ten smoke grenades. Then another guy just goes down to the bottom of the list. Ten smoke. Yeah, I already got that. Okay. <laughs> Next week on True Detective, Frank's packing list. <laughs> Where the fuck are the rest of my smoke grenades? Uh, I don't know what I was going to say. Other than, I, I guess, you, I can't see... It's interesting because Ray and Annie are actually emotionally sensitive, like, not up for it all people. After the shootout, they both barfed, yeah. you know, whereas Paul and Frank are just assassinating people mm-hmm. because they have they that connection between doing yeah. that and being physically ill was severed somewhere in their lives. Yeah. Um, and I think that might be I. it's either going to be their saving grace or their downfall. I think it's interesting to see them connect because it forced me to remember that they're real people in that Ray probably in the early days of his marriage before she was raped, they probably had a fun, like romantic loving marriage, even though it might've had spikes of terrible fights and alcoholism or whatever that he was, I saw them both as real people in that scene that where they were together the whole way through. I mean, I suspect they nice probably, to- I think it was probably like my guess would be the balance was the opposite of what you posit, which is probably that they had a lot of moments of like fun and romance and sort of like enjoyment. But the baseline was probably like not ever the best. Maybe. I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I think there's like, either way. Either way. It feels like a redeemable character to me. Sure. I agree with that. Yeah. And Annie does as well mm-hmm. in the fallout of having stabbed that guy and gotten that out of her. And then also in the way that she's talking to her family now about mm-hmm. them being in danger and her caring for them. And Man, yeah. by the way, a crazy through line of this episode was that every all four main characters basically spent the entire episode or like the second half of the episode telling everyone they cared about. You have to hide a lot now. Right. That was like it kept happening. It was crazy. Like, I like all, that. all four of them. Yeah, it was interesting. I really loved the <laughs> the the shot. It's like a little tiny moment of Paul's mom and Paul's like girlfriend mm-hmm. in bed together Beyonce. watching an old movie mm-hmm. and uh and she just kind of being like what what is this? It's old. And then you see her later and she's kind of tearing up a bit at this like quaint relationship on the screen i just yeah. thought that was just a really it was it wasn't a lot of time spent on it which is what made it i think work mm-hmm. um, which is that little moment i thought was really nice what are the odds that one of the last scenes of this series is ray put between a rock and a hard place when one of the conspirators in the story comes out of the shadows with a gun to that fat redhead's that little redhead's head. Oh, <laughs> it's just like, Ray, we're going to need you to do whatever. And they bring those kids back and put them because he didn't tell them to hide. By the way, this is That's like not going to happen. This is really cra- crazy and like not me. I, I don't know if this is like even worth talking about this kind of stupid theory. But like Blake was the one who gave the 
theoretically like incorrect. He gave up the junkie rapist it, name, yeah. yeah, to Frank, and then by by virtue of that to Ray. Also, Blake has red hair. Is that a thing? Probably not. Oh, I don't think that's yeah, that's probably not a thing. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> if Blake was. Velcoro's wife's rapist? Is that what you're positing? I guess. I don't actually think that's the case. It was just like it's a... It's <laughs> you've, a you've gone to the third page of the True Detective he's actually forums. He's actually not, but he didn't want the kid that he was given with uh, some other woman, so there was actually a swap at the hospital, and that's Oof. what True Detective Season 3 is about. It's about also a baby mix-up that was oh, included. God. Uh, the movie... Man, that, there is... There, um, sorry, but just speaking of like... Speaking of baby mix-ups? Well, yeah, kind of, because you know, we... We learned that the that the the girl who one of one of the orphans from the uh, the robbery in 1992 was uh, was Casper's secretary, I guess. Hmm. Erica. Her name was formerly Laura, and now is Erica, and she's like also involved in this stuff as well. I don't know, like the amount of crazy like interconnectedness that was even further extended in this episode was bonkers. Um, like we, there's already a lot of like very sort of notable overlaps when you factor in also, um, like Annie's father's commune and, and all that stuff all like overlapping. Um, and that was just even further, um, extended this time anyway. So oh, I, I meant to mention it earlier when we talked about it like just minutes ago, but the movie that Paul's fiance was watching, uh, Dana, my girlfriend identified that as the movie Splendor in the Grass, which is a movie mm. about, uh, well, the end of it involves a woman, and I think it's, I think it's an expectant mother who knows she's not going to be able to spend the rest of her life with the father, which is probably why she's mm, bawling, oh bawling okay, at yeah. what ended up being an old, you know, to some random old movie on TV ends up basically being, yeah, you know, prescient, classic her, yeah. prescient old movie in movie, right? Um, yeah. Do you want to examine the mail from oh, possible sure. listeners? Let's do that. Um, if you would like to send us mail for the final episode of True Detective and also True Detective Weekly, well, at least the final episode of our season two kind of follow along, uh, you can email us at questions at truedetectiveweekly.com. So Jesse Harper writes, hey, Thumbs, just wanted to raise a bit of discussion on how well Leonard Cohen's Nevermind plays as a theme for this season of True Detective. Specifically, the line, I live among you, well disguised, which seems to relate to Annie's recently revealed sexual abuse and resulting um, sexual frustration addiction. Uh, Ray's anger and drinking and resulting self-destructive and suicidal tendencies and Paul's closeted homosexuality. All in all, the real person behind the eyes seems to be a common theme amidst the massive levels of corruption and deception on display in this season. I love it. I love it. Additionally, as a lifelong resident of Southern California who drives all throughout L.A. County every day for work, I can't help but gain a specific appreciation for the show's depiction of L.A. that what may be lost on many viewers. It's common of noir fiction in general, but True Detective's specific portrayal of a slightly askew version of L.A. also plays into the themes I mentioned above. Everything looks just like the real thing, but ever so slightly wrong. My girlfriend can't help but notice the lack of traffic and the constant freeway shots. I think there's something to that, Jesse. Um, and then I'm going to quickly follow that up with an email from Daniel Hall, uh, who he's, I'm not going to read his whole email cause we've talked about it a bit, but he's writing in about the different editing in the theme song every week. Um, and he actually, uh, like tracked what the different lyrics are each week. Um, which is pretty interesting. Um, he looks like 
episodes one, three, and four had the same use the same lyrics in the theme song, but all the other episodes so far have had a very different um, uh, set of lyrics, which are definitely surely relate to the uh, to the episode. Just for instance, I'll read the, the only the ones from the most recent episode, episode seven. Uh, this was your heart, this swarm of flies, this once your mouth, this bowl of lies. You serve them well. I'm not surprised. You're of their kin. You're of their kind. Like that's a that's like a very intense bunch of lyrics that is a lot more sort of specifically evocative of weird imagery than a lot of the ones excerpted for previous episodes. Uh, anyway, that that comes to us from Daniel Hall. Um, so next week, as you definitely know, I'm sure is the uh, fin- season finale of True Detective season two. We will obviously be talking about it. I think it's a 90-minute episode. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah, so if you want to get your thoughts in, um, try to do that as soon after the episode airs as you can so that we have time to read them on the show. Again, our email address is questions at truedetectiveweekly.com. I hope you have enjoyed uh, listening to us talk through this season and figuring out what we thought about it. Uh, if you have been enjoying that, consider rating us or leaving us a review on iTunes. Uh, you can find our website at truedetectiveweekly.com and it has links to our iTunes page and our social media and all that stuff. Thanks. And we will talk to you guys next week.